Hello again, I'm Alexander and you're listening to the latest edition of Shout, the podcast for South Yorkshire Fire and Rescue. Throughout the series, I'm speaking to frontline staff from across the service and asking them about some of the life-saving incidents they've dealt with. I'm talking to individual staff members, but every guest I speak to is always part of a bigger life-saving team. Fire and Rescue... I've got a fire in it, Al. Okay, there, you're in the front room? Yeah. Right, and where is the fire? In the kitchen. In the kitchen, okay. Are you not able to get out of your front door? No. Right, okay, listen, we've got fire engines on the way to you, okay? Right, I need you to stay on the line with me, alright? I need you to calm down. Where are your children now? Today, I'm not speaking to a firefighter. Instead, I'm talking to Julia Tonks who works as an operator within the fire service's 999 control room. Julia speaks to me about the crucial role control operators play in delivering life-saving fire survival guidance to people who ring 999. She also describes a specific incident when she gave advice to a woman trapped in a burning building. I ask her how she handles a call like that and what it feels like to save a life by being at the other end of a phone. It was at an address in Barnsley, I think it was, mm. uh, where it was a grandmother and, and two grandchildren trapped in a, a building. But they, the fire was in the kitchen, they were in the lounge, and the front door was sort of next to them, but the keys for the front door were in the kitchen, so obviously they couldn't get out of the property. Mm. Um, basically, the, the lady rang 999, um, asked for the fire service, I answered the call, um, they couldn't get out of the building. We had to ascertain the address, where they were, um, where the fire was, how many people were in the house, um, that kind of thing. And if they can't get out of the building, then give them life-saving advice to keep them safe until the fire crews get there. Um, so this particular one uh, was keeping them low and safe, moving them to either a window where they could get air. In this instance, it was the front door and the letterbox. Um, to actually get fresh air through um, before the crews actually arrived. And um, so you received the 999 call, presumably they were quite distressed at that point, were they? At, at the beginning, um, she was very calm given the address and then obviously the, the bigger the fire got and the more smoke that came in, obviously the more panicked they get and we have to keep them calm, reassure them, we're kind of their lifeline until the fire crews get there and then they take over. Uh, with the rescue from the premise. And what does it, in what way can you sort of keep someone calm in a situation like that? It's very much the, the words that the, you use keep yourself and your voice calm um, and quite low and even, um, reassuring them all the time we've got fire crews coming, um, where are you now? Keep talking to them, try not to leave any silence because that's when they start to panic again when they, they don't think anybody's there. Um, it's important to um, keep them in a bit of a rapport, keep asking them if they're okay, is there any more smoke in the room and the reassurance of we're coming to help you. Um, the fact that um, when you are talking to them it distracts them from what they're looking at or feeling because they're trying to listen to you because they're looking to you to keep them safe. So a lot of the time they are very much engaged with you. Um, depending on how long the calls takes, um, one of the things I like to do is, is ask them the name 
um, so it personalises it a little bit so they feel more connected than just being talking to somebody on the end of a phone. And presumably for you that must be um, that must be really hard in a way kind of listening to someone who's in a situation like that but not physically being able to to sort of do anything about it yourself how yeah. do you how do you handle that um it can be quite difficult um because you're trying to visualize what they're seeing and sort of make a risk assessment on where they are in which way to send them how to help them um, which is why we have to ask lots of questions and hopefully get all the information to give the right advice when you're in that situation and they, there is people that do panic and they can scream at you and uh, and you, you have to sort of compose yourself as well um, knowing that you, you are helping them. When they are distraught sometimes it's harder to calm them down and bring them down to a level where they realise that you're helping them. Um, I've done many fire survival guidances over the years um, some stick out more than others due to the nature of the incident, the people involved. Um, afterwards, it's always a bit of a oof moment that you've you've done that call, and then it's time to move on to the next one, basically. Um, and and that's what we do. And do you? How does it make you feel when you've um, you've handled a call like that? See, in this case, it was it was a it was a good outcome. Um, how does that make you feel? It makes you feel very proud to do the job that you do. I love the job that I do and it's helping people. Um, you feel very relieved at the end of the call knowing that the crews have got there and got them out safe. Um, and it's, it's very rewarding um, as well as stressful, upsetting. You get all those emotions at the end and then literally just pick up the next call and carry on. And do you feel able to kind of take a moment where you think, actually, although I wasn't there at the scene, I contributed to saving that person's life? Yes, I think I think we do in those instances. Uh, I certainly do. Um, because we are the first port of call for anybody in a situation. They ring 999, they ask for the fire service, they get us um, in South Yorkshire to deal with that we're the first people they speak to, we get all the information to relate to the crews and we're there with them right up until the point that the crews take over. So we're a very vital part in operational readiness and awareness of getting crews to incidents and giving them the right information to save people. Does your training pre prepare you for taking those kind of calls? The training is, it can be quite intense. Um, a lot of the training you actually do on the job once you start. Uh, it's a bit like driving a car. You never learn to drive until you're on your own and you've passed your test. Um, a lot of it comes with experience um, of the calls that you take. Um, during the training you will listen to calls of that nature to sort of introduce to the, the job that you're going to be doing and what you could end up actually handling. Um, but it's really just on the job day by day, call by call, that you gain that experience. There's no sort of preparation for what you are going to get. It's in a range of, of calls and this is the kind of thing you could handle. What's your favourite part of the job? 
Um, the favourite part of my job is everything I love about it really. Um, I like helping people, I like being the first port of call and being the one to make that decision and get the crews out there to help. I like the people I work with, um, my watch, the atmosphere, everything. I really enjoy the job um, as a, a firefighter in control, because that's a job title, but uh, we're actually call handlers um, and it's very intense and we see a job through in respect of from start to finish, we speak to the crews, we do all the radio, we speak to officers, we call the police, ambulance, so we do a wide range of of jobs within the control room, but ultimately it's serving the general public and knowing that you're looking after the county of South Yorkshire and keeping people safe and being there when they're needed. And uh, you mentioned the kind of you enjoy the atmosphere on the team as well. When you're taking a call like the one you've just described, is does it feel like a team effort then as well? Yeah, because we've always got people that will jump in and help. While you're actually on a fire survival guidance call, you um, are talking to the caller, um, typing in the information, sending out the appliances. Um, you're doing all that whilst you're talking to this caller. Your colleagues in the room are doing their bit to help out as well. They'll be contacting police and ambulance. Your mobilising officer will be listening in just to make sure we've got all the information. Uh, if there's anything that they feel they want to know, they'll give you a prompt for you to ask. So it's very much a, a team effort. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's talking to that person and listening to what they're telling you. Really, with, with the unseen firefighters, um, a lot of uh, media has gone around about heroes in headsets. Uh, that's what we like to think we are, uh, because we are the first protocol for everything. Um, and if anybody wants to know anything, it's generally ring control, they'll know, because um, we're here 24-7, 365 days a year, and we do a wide range of, of jobs within there. Uh, and we like to think we can help as many people as we can, not just the general public, colleagues that ring up, officers, uh, crews on stations, we're always here to help 24-7 and, and that's the type of people that we are, we will just help people wherever we can. Big thanks to Julia for giving me an insight into the role of control room operators, people who don't always get as much limelight as firefighters but can also play a big role in saving lives in emergency situations. Thank you for listening and we hope you'll tune in again next week.